0: Hi, my name is Tony Wynn, and this is the Remotely Software Podcast, where I interview remote software developers to discover how they and their teams work effectively from different locations. This week, I talked with Olivier Lacan, a software developer working for Codeschool.com out of Paris. In this episode, we talk about setting up a remote workspace, guiding your organization into a healthy remote culture, setting work-life boundaries, sync versus async communication, mental health, and talking to yourself. I hope you enjoy our conversation. All right, so I would like to know: uh, Do you have a desk in front of you right now? Yes, I do. What is on your desk?
1: Good question. There is uh, on to my. I'm going to start from left to right, right left, left to right. (laughs) Uh, I have Nick Offerman's uh, "Good Clean Fun" just there because I don't know why I brought it back from the U.S. because I got it as a uh, birthday present from my fiance, and uh, a Kindle, two sets of hats because I wear many hats. That's it. Interesting. That's my joke. Uh, and a preamp, <laughs> and then a uh, an XLR XLR USB interface uh, that I use from this microphone. A um, little speaker USB speaker. That's actually a really nice little bookshelf USB speaker that makes mm-hmm. beautiful sound. It's like nice bassy whatever, but not is not big and is black and lovely. A little USB lamp that I'm trying out because it's kind of nice and it uh, gives me backlight when I'm on a call. Um, USB lamp. Yeah, so the, I used to have an Ikea lamp there, and I kept banging it and t- making it fall over, so I broke it. Uh, mm-hmm. I like really diffused lighting bef- behind my screen because I, I am in a little co- dark corner of my studio in Paris, and uh, that sounds like I'm recording. No, it's an <laughs> apartment. Uh, and my face gets really dark, and I'm very, very sensitive to like being seen on a call because I need people to, to see my expressions and you know when I'm reacting to something. A lot of people have like backlit faces because they are facing a window and I'm sort of facing a window. So it helps. So it's a USB lamp that you, when you touch it, it gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And it's like kind of nice. I'm just trying it out. The only problem is that it has a backlighting even when it's off, which drives me crazy. I'm like, why would you make a lamp that stays lit when it's turned <laughs> off? Then there's a, a USB and actually a, a Thunderbolt uh, hard drive that stores like really long term. Uh, archive stuff that I'm not always connected to. Then a boom mic that connects to the microphone that I bought, uh, I think, three years ago now. Yeah, when I was uh, working on Ruby 5 and uh, working on my own podcast with a friend. And I wanted a really good remote, also a remote microphone, so people could hear exactly what I was saying and I could, like, tune out mm-hmm. the noise of the street and the cats doing crazy stuff. Then underneath that, there's a USB... Um, Port thing, you know, like a powered USB multi plug, so I don't have to constantly plug in, plug out, because I have gotcha. a cinema display. On an arm, it's a an MX uh, Ergotron MX thing. That's like mm-hmm. I think specially designed for the cinema displays. This is an old cinema display from 2013, I think. That uh, I think a common friend, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, g- g- sold me for cheap. Uh, at the old office that we used to work at together. Sweet. Uh, and uh, there's my laptop underneath the screen because I just plug in my laptop. There's a little uh, portable Lightning um, hard drive that I take with me when I'm traveling, a little encrypted hard drive that I that I carry for my overflow for my laptop. Nice. It's a, you know, Lassie, last. I don't know how it's p- supposed to be pronounced. I think it's supposed to sound French, but it's not quite <laughs> And then I have a thing to plug in my iPhone, the little Elevate, not not elevation dock, the uh, 12 cell so like
0: desktop. Yeah, you?
1: it just holds my phone and then charges it at the same time. Then I have a cup of cold brew that I just made yesterday, and then a Logitech USB, super flat, super not clicky, super not hip <laughs> uh, USB keyboard that. It really annoys me because it's perfect in every way, aside from replacing the three first function buttons that, you know, Mac users use with mm-hmm. a switcher to connect to different devices. So every time I press what mm-hmm. I think is the, I think the brightness button, it actually switches me to the a, a non-existent other input. So I can't use uh. the keyboard anymore. It, aside from that, it's actually better than, mo- in my mind, most clicky keyboards and also Apple's keyboards because it's got, you know, curved keys and it's nice. And then I use a trackpad these days because my mouse, for some reason, this IKEA um, sit stand desk that I'm that I'm on, I can talk mm-hmm. about that if you want. Uh, this one uh, has a little bit of a reflection shine, so the mouse goes crazy because there's just a perfect angle from the window. So I use a trackpad because I'm tired of messing with the the Apple mouse, even the, the newer one. So it's uh, mm-hmm. it's the Apple Magic Trackpad two,
0: I think. Gotcha. There's that was point. long. I'm so sorry. No, so many things. That's, that's a that's a lot of stuff on your desk. One thing that I wanted to go back to was the light, and obviously, uh, your kind of microphone setup. You seem to be very sensitive to the other person's experience of working with you. I, I'm assuming you're doing this because this is how you interact with the world, right? This is yes. how people are seeing you. That's absolutely true. Can you pinpoint where that sensitivity? Came from? Was there a particular like person that you worked with that wasn't sensitive to that kind of thing, or <laughs> ways that you were misunderstood, and you're like, "Man, I've got to get this together," or is that just kind of your personality? Uh,
1: there's a little bit of all of these. Uh, there's definitely a time when I think that's when I first interacted with uh, Nate Bibler from NV Labs and Greg Pollock from NV Labs Code School. Because they were doing a podcast and they had a, so they were doing Ruby Five. Like when I met them mm-hmm. uh, in 2010 something, and they were doing, they had uh, Samsung uh, condenser mics on their desks, uh, mounted right next to their desks, their desks, so they could actually record the show at the end of the day. I think when people started starting leaving the office, they would record Ruby Five there. So I was, I was impressed because most people that I knew that I. I didn't expect podcast people to care that much about sound and it looked looked like a really professional setup that they had. Mm -hmm. Um, So it just, I was curious and then I listened to Ruby 5 because I wasn't a Rubyist originally. I was just a, a web designer. So I, to learn more about Ruby and stuff like that, I started listening to Ruby 5 and I'm like, oh my God, the sound quality is amazing. Like it's, I can hear, I can bear listening to this podcast when I had listened to so many podcasts throughout the years that were just like trash, like audio, just inaudible, mangled, people speaking over each other and just like so much compression and just like you you winced mostly because like people peaked and just it blew out your ears when you were listening and they sounded like they were in a studio at NPR, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's for good reason. It's because I think Greg and most—I don't know if Nate is as seriously it's he sounds very serious—but Greg was really, really anal about like sound quality and like editing. But for me, it was both a way to get understood for sure. When you're remote, uh, when you're talking, when you're recording a thing, a call, a Skype conversation, it's definitely better. But also, I think it's a personal like um, uh, taste thing. Where it's like. Uh, I take photos. I like my photos to be well-lit. If, if I'm showing my face to someone, I want my face to be well-lit, not because I want to look pretty, but because that's – people tend to think that machines uh, show the truth. Yes, that's it. They tend to <laughs> think that machines inherently show the truth and that when you improve on them, you're che- cheating. You know, you're, like, polishing the reality when really mm-hmm. machines are not the truth. They're just a signal. And that signal is has no opinion, and it also does not look like the human eye. So a camera or a microphone without treatment, without like amplifying, without tuning out the noise around you, sounds unnatural. So it's just I really don't like. I think it makes the conversations, and especially remote conversations, impersonal when it sounds like the other person's less than human, because mm-hmm. they don't. They look like a flat picture on a screen. Whereas if you lit someone's face. Um, and they look three-dimensional and they have expressions and you can see them emote and you can hear them go like that. Just breathing <laughs> backwards, you're like, ooh, hesitation, right? So mm-hmm. that increases the bandwidth and the resolution of the human conversation. And remote is is really hard because mostly because of that. Because all the conversations that you have are so low resolution that... Yeah. All the subtlety kind of like just gets washed away, and then you have these frustrations coming out of nowhere. It's like they don't, for some reason, the other people don't understand what I'm feeling right now, and it yeah. bubbles right anyway. So this that's is
0: a long-winded reason. Two different things coming from that. One of my big pet peeves with uh, with working remotely and being in meetings remotely—the you're remote, but everyone else is in a conference room kind uh-huh. of thing—and part of that is generally where the camera is you're just at the head of the table and people are having conversations so you're seeing mostly the side of people's head yep and i i feel like there's some kind of biological like underpinning to trust a lack of trust is reinforced by just seeing the side of someone's head throughout a conversation like that's signaling to you that you're not important you can say like, "Oh, this is just the setup" or whatever, but we're adapted to these signals that maybe we're not even aware of. Yeah. So
1: I used to sell for a while when I was a student. I, I worked in a camera shop. Well, actually, an electronics shop, and I sold stuff to people. And uh, there was multiple times in my life when I learned very like drastically uh, life-improving new skills. The first time was like cold calling people. Which mm-hmm. sounds horrible and is horrible, but then you learn that phone calls are not like the end of the world. Like just talking to people, <laughs> even if they're strangers, you don't know their interfaces and how to just approach them. Uh, I you know it's it's just like just meeting someone random in the street or at a conference. Like those are really hard things to do when you're not used to them and you haven't practiced. But right. um, that one the looking people in the eye when i worked in that camera store uh it was the first time i've ever done i'd ever done sales uh, i didn't know i could do it but i was really passionate about cameras and photography so like when people ask me a question uh i tried really hard to just just hone in on them just be like forget about the other people in the store forget about the noise i'm talking to you and no this is not a megapixel machine we you don't need 20 gig- gajillion megapixels You're, you won't make better photos if you have that mm-hmm. um and here's why and i'll tell you in a way that's not condescending and i'll just explain to you you know the size and the amount is not what matters it's the quality of the sensor and stuff like that and they would just they would just listen so like once you know that you realize that ev- like you said every conversation where people don't con- uh, connect with you or de- it's okay for people not to hold your stare the whole time, right? It's just like right. some people just don't like to just stare, and it's very intimidating sometimes. <laughs> it's kind of a power play in some in some ways, also, like that. Salespeople use that they, they just like hone it on your eyes, and you're like, I must trust him. <laughs> he's like the snake in Jungle Book. <laughs> he's so Ooh. well lit right
0: now. Yeah, you must have the truth. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's it. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the the vampires in like that Twilight movie. Um, they just sparkle. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Uh, yeah, but you're right. There's just so many little. So uh, there's a term uh, uh, called microaggressions that is used for mm-hmm. like you know s- sexual harassment or just like generally gender like um, issues in the workplace and all- all- also racial issues in the workplace. Like just little things that people say or even do that are just like, Ugh! I mean, yep. it, you didn't mean it probably, but it still hurts. And those are like the remote microaggressions. There, there are the little things where people go. Oh, sorry, forgot to set up the microphone before the call. Oh, sorry, mm-hmm. the camera is just not working today, so there's no camera. Oh, sorry, mm-hmm. yeah, we put it on the big wall, so you look like the guy from the Wizard of Oz. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think you said that last time, uh, but yeah, we've had so many conversations. So I, uh, I've worked for the same with the same people for the last five years. So it, it, I have a. I think Aaron had the same kind of like, yeah, worked with the same people for three years. so you you've been through the gamut of experimentation and like arguments about like what's better. Mm-hmm. Um, we We've done the big TV thing, uh, where a bunch of remote people drop in. We've asked several times, okay, now we're gonna do this thing, so if you can come to the meeting, all on your laptops, uh, either if you're home, that's cool. In the office it kind of sucks because that means everybody's hogging the 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 wifi. Mm-hmm. Or if they're if they're on the ethernet it's better, but like that's the one problem. It's like you should have like as an organization you should make it possible for n- people not to have to go in a meeting room to have a meeting. If if you were serious about remote, you should have mm-hmm. ethernet at every single desk, at every mobile desk, at every there should be a wire coming out because you this is a thing you know when you're remote and don't really consider when you're in office because connectivity is like, well, you know, I can always do it later. But when you're remote, like that's the one chance you have to Mm -hmm. talk to these people. And then the meeting's adjourned or it's over or it's canceled or they, they couldn't hear you. And that's it. And that sinking feeling that people couldn't hear what you had to say. It's It's irrational. Yeah. yeah, It's a rational and irrational at the same time. It's just like, they don't care. I know they say they care, but they don't care enough. Um, yeah, it's just sad. Makes you sad.
0: Mm-hmm. When you think about the way that you work, do you think like I'm a remote worker? Is that yeah. even something you? Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a I'm a remote worker that uh, for the longest time and still now is is surprisingly reluctant. Uh, so that sounds weird because you're you're definitely you, it has a positive impact on your life and it, it I cannot say that it didn't have a positive impact on my life. I. Mm-hmm. So we both worked at the same uh, at the same place for two years, mm-hmm. like concurrently, and yep. then during that time we had uh, occasionally remote days. So we had Tuesdays and, and Thursdays, um, two, yeah, that Tuesdays two, two and Thursdays, and then you know sometimes Wednesdays, but not really. Uh, so there was meetings on Mondays and meetings on Fridays and stuff together on Fridays. So we we did that. So I did that from uh, January two thousand twelve to. Uh, the December 2013. And uh, I don't know if it sounds like it when I'm talking, depends on some people, whether you, you know, they figure it out. But I'm not American, I'm French. Uh, so I had a, so I went to school in, in Orlando, Florida, or in Winter Park, actually. And uh, I, so I went there from 2009 to 2011. And then I, when I graduated, I got a, because it was a STEM degree in like science, technology, engineering, math. I think, Um, degree, then you, if you had a job in this, if you found a job in the same field as your degree, you could extend your student visa into a worker visa, basically, for, uh, I think, a year and a half extensible, I think it was a year extensible to two years or something like that, so I got a year automatically, because I got a job uh, right Mm -hmm. out of college, and then I quit that job and then joined uh, NVLab slash Code School at the beginning of 2012. Uh, back when Code School was still a tiny little piece of it, um, or like a little side project, I guess. the The visa would needed to be renewed, like by Code School, essentially, which became its own entity. I think in the summer of 2012, and uh, and I was super anxious. I was like, ooh please love me (laughs) i was like oh like i was like super super stressed that you know i would i would not be doing a good job and people wouldn't like like me or like me enough to like go through the huge you know pain in the ass that is like renewing a visa or like even applying for a visa so like i sheepishly asked uh i think it was i don't know if you remember i think it was jennifer uh, mm-hmm. Who was was doing uh, project management and stuff like that? And I asked her, and she was like, "Oh, sure, I'll ask. Uh, I'll ask. I think Greg or someone." And they were like, "Oh, no problem." And they just they they had to actually for that they had to register uh, with the government as a a company that you know employs uh, uh, non-immigrant because it's not really an immigrant. Like you're not mm-hmm. really an immigrant when you do that. So they had to register as a company to verify all of their other employees because it's a program that's basically like rat out all the other ones and you can keep him essentially. <laughs> if you have any like uh, immigrant worker or like some, someone who's not super, super straight uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to like, uh, like status and everything. So mm-hmm. it's, it's basically a registration program. So they had to do that, which is kind of tedious. And they did it for me, which is like super, super, I was super glad, but still, and you know, after a year after that, that my visa still expired because it doesn't last forever. It's it's kind of a temporary. Like, hey, you paid a bunch of money to our like uh, university system. Uh, here's like a few years of work, and then just go home. Just yeah, uh, we don't want, we don't want you anymore. So, I discovered late that I should have applied for a visa for a, a normal tech worker visa, which is called an H one B, which is mm-hmm. uh, widely abused by um, basically huge like uh, offshoring tech companies that just hire a bunch of people from overseas and actually don't bring them to the U S they just use them as like temporary workers. But anyway, that's the side issue. I didn't know that. I didn't know any of it. So go ahead.
0: So when you say abused, like there's a finite number of these things,
1: right? There's 40,000 visas every year. So think about that, like 40,000 people in an industry that just can't, you can't hire. It's really, really hard to hire people. doesn't mean you Mm -hmm. can't, but so there's 40,000 bachelor's-level uh, applications available, and there's uh, 20,000 extra master's-level applications, so PhD or master's. And those run out really quick. Essentially, within the first three days, I think of the application deadline on April 1st, which is a great date for that, every year they run out, and it's a joke. And mm-hmm. everybody knows it, and you know, just it runs out and turns into a lottery. So regardless of your merit, you don't get in because you're... Uh, a valuable, necessarily more valuable contribution to the American, you know, society or anything. It's just you get in because right. you just got randomly selected, and the the odds got lower and lower every year. So b- between 2011 and 2014, it went from 20 percent odds to get it to, uh, to sorry, from 60 percent odds to get it basically to like I think 20 percent or 10 percent. Now it's just it's absurd. There's so many people rolling over because you can only apply a, like, per, once per year that it's mm-hmm. just Anyway, so that's a super long way to say I, at the end of 2013, after applying several times to get that one, you know, crapshoot visa, I didn't get it uh, twice, I think. And, yeah, I didn't get in 2013. And then I I tried in 2014. It didn't work either. So I had to leave uh, my visa expired in late 2013. And I had to basically three months to pack up and go home. So it it was not my decision to be like, whew, I would like to try remote
0: <laughs> full-time.
1: <laughs> Sounds cool. I might have done that uh, if I wanted to explore the U.S. or, like, go, you know, live in France for, for six months with, to mm-hmm. see my family a little bit more. Um, but that that wasn't me. So I, when I say reluctant, it was just foisted on me, and I had to adapt to it really quickly um, without too much, like, saying the matter. So I I moved to France between... December and uh, March of 2000, end of 2013, beginning of 2014, and I had to recreate basically everything here. So I came back to an apartment that I had rented out for for years, and it was just all. It is very weird because I had to combine creating a good remote environment in the only time zone that I'm. I'm the only person in this time zone. I'm you know mm-hmm. UTC UTC minus one or UTC plus one. Yeah. UTC plus one in your East coast is minus five. So there's six hours difference most of the year. And Mm -hmm. that's a big time zone difference. That's, that's, you know, at 12, it's six over there. So at noon, it's six over there. So like people are waking up and I'm midday, which can be great and has really, does have advantages and, and stuff like that. But I had to buy all the equipment, buy a new desk, um, uh, and it, of course I'm not, a, I'm not really smart. So I didn't voice that. I didn't make expenses out of that. Uh, I bought a microphone. I, uh, shipped my screen from the U S in wrapped in a huge towel with bubble wrap and everything. Uh, yeah, I, I try to, I try to make it an office essentially, which was just a student pad before. And, mm-hmm. um, it worked out. But for a few months, I guess it was really it was a struggle. I'd had a really crappy old desk, uh, back pain, and stuff like I said. I didn't have a good chair. I found a an Aaron chair, unbelievably, mm-hmm. on French eBay, and the guy had no idea. I think someone mentioned that at some point, point. it might have been in your show or or another show, sure, but someone. No one. It was just office leftover stuff, and this guy found it or had it on his hands and was just getting rid of it. And he did not know the retail price of this chair, so I That's bought awesome. for two hundred bucks. I bought an errand chair. And That's I was like, amazing. <laughs> and I, I was so thankful. And the guy was like, "Yeah, sure, whatever." Bye.
0: So, can you talk about being? Everyone else was was in an office, and then you and then maybe one or or yeah. two other people are out. Can you talk about? The pain points that you had, how you kind of handled making that work, voicing concerns, compromising, stuff like that?
1: It was very lucky that I was one of the more, you can tell from how much I talk, uh, loudmouth uh, people in the team. And I don't mean that and I just necessarily brash, but I just like, I, I don't really sit on my opinion uh, for very long. Sometimes I do uh, for, for reasons, but uh, for remote stuff. We kind of made a deal, uh, I think, with uh, my team lead at the time. Yeah, Thomas. Thomas was my team lead at the time. And then Thomas and I just talked and, and said, I need you to be really, really loud. I think he said that to me. Uh, I need you to be really, really loud about your concerns and problems and remote issues and, and stuff like that, which I really appreciated. Mm-hmm. And any time there was an issue, I would come to him or I just publicly would say, "You, you know – Multiple issues were things like since there was only two of us or only one of us once in a while um and we were on vi- widely different teams, so you know no no overlap there, so you had to have two teams adapt to it mostly uh people wouldn't people would forget on stand up days some Monday to set up the camera, so that's a big issue, and it's a big, big heart heartbreak when when people do that, you feel like you don't exist mm-hmm. um, and they don't mean it. That's the hard part. You can't be mad at them. You want to be mad at them, but you can't. And you have to be constructive about it. You got to be like, okay, well, that's not great. And then you got to get past your anger and say, maybe next time, 15 minutes before the standup, let's just all get together and do a sound check. Mm -hmm. And it starts becoming a thing. So now they set it up earlier and they have a delegation process, but still, you know, that person's, you know, out of office or sick or something and it doesn't get done. And then you realize that, Maybe one person cares, but maybe the other person, the the other people don't, because they obviously didn't notice you weren't there. So those were like, I need. So those are the moments where individual one one on one feedback is not sufficient. You need to to address the organization and say, "Hey, folks, I'm here. When you don't <laughs> do this, this really hurts." Uh, right. And um, and then they were extremely supportive. So they actually. They actually, you know, they they were bummed out that I had to leave and stuff like that. And they were like, really like, oh, I can't wait to have you back and everything. But see, when you're, well, this is more of a immigrant situation or a non-immigrant situation, but like, that's actually, that makes you sadder because you're like, well, I don't know if I'll be back. Like, maybe, but I I don't really know. So let's not assume that I'm going to be back anytime soon. Let's make it like I'm forever there, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, the remote thing is like, what really bothers me is when people say, um, and they don't really mean it to to be offensive or anything. They say, it's just, it's going to be an experiment. We're going to try this. Like, when you're remote and you moved several you know, thousand miles away or just a hundred mm-hmm. miles away, it's not an experiment to you. It's reality. It's, yeah, it's real. It's your entire life. Right. Every you day, day, you're, you're, you know, all of, and you talked about negative things. One clear aspect of issue for me was, so much water cooler conversations were just not hitting my radar. Mm-hmm. People were quitting and being hired and uh, people were like having babies and people were like so many life stories happen in the office. And that's a thing that It's really hard to do when you're 1% remote, right? It's really, really hard. You have to have more. I think the best thing that we did was to encourage the people who did want to become remote at that point to say, hey, you know, if you want to become remote, like, we can talk about it. Uh, Mm -hmm. There was some reluctance in in leadership, I think, at the time. Uh, That eventually went away, the the reluctance and some of the leadership. But uh, they suddenly, I think in 2014 and 15, a bunch of, uh, like, senior and old, you know, just uh, long-term people went remote, which was easy because they had they knew kind of like the they knew how i had dealt with it and we had already had you know some of these conversations so um adam went remote to michigan so it was i think it's same time zone or like just one off
0: yeah Yeah, i think think it's it's at least central time. time yeah so
1: it's one one off at least and so it's not quite the same time zone, which is nice, but you know, it's still quite not what I have. And I don't think we have anybody we have uh Stefan in Canada, which is I think joining I c could be around two thousand fifteen, but he's at least two or three time zones away, I think, in in uh, Alberta, uh, Canada, I think. Uh mm-hmm. which is good because other country. So, you know, other you know, s- rhythm of life. So not the meetings that you schedule kind of like have to group be grouped in at a specific time. And for a while, I tried to um, be extremely accommodating. And uh, this is speaking of positive slash negatives. I tried to, because I was six hours ahead of everybody, I would say, well, I don't really like waking up early in the morning anyway. So mm-hmm. I'll just wake up at 10 or 11 and then start my day Sort of like an early version of you, and then i'll I'll be fine with meetings at eight p m right mm-hmm. and this is where you get into the am I doing this because like I'm trying to be useful uh or am I doing this because like i don't I don't know how to say no like why what what is my boundary there and eventually I found like you find that boundary when you know you have other life things, and one of the things I learned from you was that by the way uh that that it's nice to be, like, flexibility doesn't mean that you're, like, that, flexibility is not a measure of how good you are as an employee. Like, your your time mm-hmm. flexibility, which was, at the time, really hard to internalize because I I was, one, I was terrified, and two, like, I, owe, I felt like I owed so many things to so many people. Right. So, um, eventually, you start saying, no, I'm having dinner with my family, and mm-hmm. no, I'm going out with my friends. So... I'm going to pass out on this meeting. Just I'll let you know what you need to know about this. And at first people go, "Mm, okay. Uh, And you do get special treatment when you're one of the few remote people because like, there's not really a standard.
0: Right. Was there any kind of expectation around uh, hours at all? Overlapping hours?
1: Yeah. We sort of, I think we sort of set it up so that I would at least overlap six, um, four hours. I think I, everybody kind of does that these days it's like you need at least x hours of overlap so mm-hmm. my afternoon in Paris so say from 1 to 6 is is the overlap there the 5 hour block because it's there's there's lunch there in, in the middle uh, at 6 p.m. my time is lunch you're you know in the east coast mm-hmm. so that's kind of tricky because here like people are not available but there's still overlap there so there's an expectation of over communication which we can go into there is an expectation of overlap and there's an expectation of if i have issues like i need to say you know see what what the issues are and like try to find a solution so uh there was video issues there was bandwidth issues there was audio issues there was meeting issues too many meetings uh, too many in-person meetings
0: mm-hmm.
1: so you learn from that and eventually i was just perpetually arguing for do we need a meeting for this uh, or can we just talk about it on Slack or whatever, you know, chatting thing we, we have. If it's just a status report, like what are you working on? What are you working on? Do you need a meeting for that? And every everybody convinces themselves that there's – sure, like we talked about, there's high resolution in a meeting like that, right? You can see each other's faces and if someone says like, yeah, I'm almost done with this and you see doubt and you see like just oof, like their eyes are shifting – It tells you something for sure, but if you have good quality, it's an investment for sure. If you have good quality webcams, a good microphone, and then a good internet connection, those are like, that's the trifecta right there. Mm -hmm. You can, lighting, I forgot, lighting. Uh, You can, (laughs) (laughs) you can see these things. Granted, you're not off the, you know, just like a, you just, you didn't just ran off To a room plugged into, like, connected to the Wi-Fi really quick without, with forgetting that you're roaming, so you're connected to the back of the office node because Mm Wi-Fi doesn't work the way you think. Like, and uh, nobody understands how Wi-Fi works. Even I like. There's a really good article I think by The Verge or something like that where they explain like all of the caveats of Wi-Fi, and you realize that it's just a terrible technology. It's okay. It's it's good enough for most uses, but it's really terrible for professional use. So If
0: you just want raw throughput, you're kind of saying it's it's very inefficient.
1: And you need that when you have, like, eight different, you know, going in and out communications and stuff like that, especially when you have, like, a ton of purple remote in office hogging the network. And a constant, Mm -hmm. like, kind of, like, frustration I have is this, like, we have an office network uh, that is, I think, 20 megs. Up down, it's a professional network, but it's it's twenty megs, and we're not using uh, a lot of that bandwidth actually, because mm-hmm. just people are just being just shoved into really tiny pipes on Wi-Fi, and they get a really really crappy. And also, I'm guessing like you step on each other on Wi-Fi very easily too. Uh, so like your signal is is just taking over that thing. It, it's just a, it's just a huge mess. So the those meetings need to be, if they are going to happen, they need to be planned properly. They need to be, so that's another thing. They need to be planned in advance, need to be, if there's a a tool like Calendly that you can use to make sure that people are actually time zone available, not just Mm -hmm. like we have a meeting because the office is open. Right. Right. Um, So that's one of them.
0: So you talked about uh, trying to push meetings towards async kind of, kind of methods inside of Slack. Um, are are you someone uh that prefers async as much as possible and if so like at what point do you do you decide that no this needs like a higher resolution kind of communication
1: so for check-ins uh unless there's uh an impending you know deadline where you see it coming up really close and you kind of need to see like there's a lot of coordination. It's essentially, any any heavy coordination is really hard to do asynchronously because you'll you'll have uh, huh, let's use some uh, HTTP stuff. Uh, you'll have some just like uh, lag between each response, so it'll lag because you know, this other person has to respond, and then you just it's spread out. So these conversations it's spread out over three hours, and there's not really like a clear check, 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 check. What I love is this thing that we have in Slack uh, for, it's such a super simple thing. Time zone wise, every day for everybody at 9 a.m., we get a question from Slack that says, hey, what are you working on today? And I answer it at 9 a.m., they answer it at 9 a.m., but in their time zone. So basically anybody, when everybody shows up, it says, reminder, what are you working on today? Any blockers? And we say, I'm working on this, any blockers? Guess what? No need for a standup meeting anymore. Uh, that's totally gonna piss off scrum people, I'm sure, <laughs> uh, because there's other values to Scrum and other like super I'm sure I, I'm sure there's like really intricate things. and yes, there's probably added you know uh, benefits there to to actually doing a thing where you stop everybody and and make everybody stop and talk while everybody right. listens. I don't mm-hmm. like these. I don't think they're valuable. We tried these. We had ro- we had we we tried everything. We tried rotating meetings where, you know, you had like a circle of 15 people or five people saying, I'm working on this and the other people listen. Very few people got any value out of it. There were some just divergent conversations that were completely irrelevant to most of the people in the room. Um, the blockers really didn't get voice because a lot of people in person don't have the same kind of ability to just... Sh- say oh i feel bad about this or i'm i'm hurting here or i'm suffering cuz it just makes them feel weird to say it in front of a camera or even in in office whereas on chat they'll be like oh, i'm kind of stuck with this and it feels normal cuz that's their that's how they work they don't work on a camera you know mm-hmm. or in, in standing up in an office they work sitting at a computer typing text so that's weird to me that we expect people to talk about how they feel about a project in a completely different context and interface than they do when they work. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. No, that, that makes sense.
1: And I do love synchronicity for the sake of pairing. Because obviously you can't asynchronously pair, right? <laughs> that just makes no sense. Not very
0: effectively.
1: Right. You can mob, I guess. And when you mob, there's like some sort of like, no, not even. It's just, it's all syn- yeah. so. One thing that I used to not do that I do a lot more these days is actually schedule the pairing. I think I think Aaron mentioned that the other day. We used to not. We used to just do this promiscuous pairing thing or I used to do it where I would be like, oh, you have a question on this pair. And it ended up just bumping into a lot of schedules. You'd, you'd, you'd start a little too close to a meeting or just when someone needed to go to lunch but they didn't tell me or that, or I didn't tell them that I needed to go to lunch and I didn't notice that it was lunchtime or dinner time here. So now it's scheduled, and what's really great is that when it's scheduled, people can't schedule a meeting right when you're pairing or you're, you you right. plan to pair. Uh, so we just make big blocks of pairing. Like if I look at my schedule right now, there's like a big block of pairing after this, and then there's – and it's not necessarily – we're not going to take the whole block necessarily, but we, we might. And we might just take little breaks or finish early or anything like that.
0: During the last couple of years, you talked about more people becoming remote. So it seems like there's more interaction with like other offices of oh, yeah. Pluralsight who uh, who acquired. Has that been much of a transition for you being remote? Or are you kind of maybe a little bit insulated from the changes because you were already working in a distributed way?
1: So we were working in in a, in a somewhat distributed way when that happened. It was late two thousand fourteen, I think, when it started happening. And at first, we were mostly isolated because you know it just took it takes a while to actually start collaborating with everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think the I my situation I'm perpetually an exception. So first, I'm not uh, you know from the same country. There's there's another like non-American on the team, but i think that's it we have two there's maybe binationals, but like not um there's so there's two of us that are not from the country and and Mm -hmm. i'm also a contractor which means that not as i haven't been a salaried employee of the company so i work with them not for them right so that means also that a lot of the things that happen when there's an acquisition for instance that don't really happen to me like all the healthcare registration payroll all of, all of that like you need to know these things in 401ks like that's that's not like I'm I'm doing my own thing on the on this side so it's sorts of it sort of sets you apart and in a way you kind of like recuse yourself from a lot of these changes because you're like well that doesn't really apply to me so I'm not gonna worry about it and then mm-hmm. eventually you start to see uh, I think acquisition so it's just like company growth might do the same thing you start to see cultural changes that you, didn't see evolve it just suddenly you realize that your culture is different mm-hmm. in what, be, because one because your remote culture is imperfect uh, or just not established well enough and that's mm-hmm. easier when you have a better remote culture so like these days uh, I'm just going through the slack list and I have like one Dan is a remote but from really close I think from an hour from where you are uh, there's Mike and Adam who are remote from Michigan there's uh, Stefan, who's remote from Canada that I mentioned. So there's, there's a, a hefty amount of people just from our team that are remote or also uh, traveling a lot. So there are a lot of people who travel a lot and they're just, they're just set up somewhere else in the world and they work from there, which is really cool and actually makes me feel better because I do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and I, it's, it can be unhealthy. So one of the things that, that we'll probably touch on is work-life balance. I mentioned it a little bit for when I moved back to Paris, but one dangerous thing when you can do that is that you end up not taking vacations anymore. You just have travel vacations, or, you know, you're just like a n- n- digital nomad. Oh, God. <laughs> um. So digital nomad means like, oh, yeah, look at these amazing pictures of these places that I'm at, but I'm actually not. I'm working. So I just took them really quick. And then right. I'm just like stressing out about deadlines in the meantime. I definitely did that for like easily the first year anytime i would travel it would be either i would traveling like for a conference or i would travel for another reason for family or for friends or something like that um and then i would just not take vacation because uh i needed to just either make money or i just uh i i didn't feel like a, i i could take a vacation for some reason which is really weird that got lots lots better lots better it got a, a lot better Eventually, we started making sure that people would actually take vacation and like making setting up the expectation that leadership would take vacation and stuff like that, which is very useful for remote people who kind of can work anywhere to to know hey, you can go somewhere else than where you are or just stay where you are and be on vacation and disconnect and mm-hmm. not have the expectation the first the first time I did not check slack I think we used slack at the time uh, I did not connect to Slack and read anything was in the summer of 2014. Uh, so it was two years after, uh, I I disabled my my quote school email and turned off Slack and didn't like I almost opened it a few times and closed it really quick, like command Q. Because <laughs> I was curious I was like, ah, oh, I wonder what's going on. And for two weeks in I was in Japan with a friend and I just did not check anything. And that was just really weird. Because we were still like a really small team. I think on my team, there's like three people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's only three people on my team and we're like, you know, kind of like the nexus of, of, of everything, like billing and everything. So it's really scary to think like, Ooh, what if, what if it's blowing up? Mm -hmm. Um, but that kind of gives you a lot of peace of mind when you come back from that, you realize, well, there were issues, (laughs) uh, but they weren't the worst possible issues. Uh, and, um, so yeah, the that, that actually eventually made it a lot easier to take vacations to realize that yes, even if you're in a different time zone, it's fine to do that, et cetera, et cetera.
0: There's been kind of a pattern of um kind of discovering what the expectations are throughout the process. Like yeah. what does a healthy work life balance uh look like kind mm-hmm. of on, on both sides of that? And so you've talked a little bit about um expectations around um vacation time you talked about expectations about like hours schedule type thing are there other kinds of expectations that you've come to discover are good to kind of get out there
1: so well in your previous question you asking me about like the the whole acquisition thing and what happens to the through that and this is kind of ties into that essentially the expectations start shifting when you your boss is a different boss because mm-hmm. that's what happens when you get acquired. Like you, you have a tech, you have a an administration boss, and you have an actual boss, the person who actually pays you. So first of all, like, uh, they have different expectations because they've always, I mean, they're they're they've been around for ten years. We we were around for what two three years when they acquired us, and they had been around for like seven years or or more or something like that. So they had a lot of ingrained cultural things and no matter how closely they appeared to be aligned with our culture or like our ways and you know the ways that we operated they had a, a ton of different things they had a tiny engineering team for a huge sales operation so culturally that makes a, a big difference like people are a mm-hmm. lot more isolated they don't like you don't people don't talk to engineers they're not allowed to talk to engineers that much and and that changed a lot for them too like they they ended up hiring a lot more engineers so like we used to have, uh, I think, summits uh, occasionally with their engineers. I think what, right after the acquisition, we had a summit with their engineers. And, and you could tell that they had tons of different expectations. Um, they, they were talking about re, re-architecting their organization to be more, um, like, broken up into little teams. And we're like, that's sort of what we do. Like, we've, we've done this for a while we're not as old as you, but you, also we grew up differently. So, like, we, we don't have a million microservices like what you want to do, but we have a few mic- macroservices, and we, our teams are... We realize that having big teams is a bad idea because there's just so much crosstalk. That's, mm-hmm. that's a, I was just trying to find a word. Crosstalk is one of the things that actually damages Wi-Fi networks. Essentially, you have <laughs> two nodes too close to each other, and they just crosstalk. They just talk over each other and that's exactly what happens on big teams. So remote, if there's another advice there, it's really really hard to do remote if you have 20 people you need to interact with every day because mm-hmm. just to just thinking of it's kind of an n plus 1 problem. It's just like so many people you have to keep in the loop and then do do one-on-ones with and then that whoever is that one person who does one-on-ones with 20 people, holy crap. So the sweet spot in in my 5 year experience, I guess, has been like I've seen several teams of three to maybe seven people. And really, like, seven people even seems like a stretch to me. Like, yeah. the sweet spot for us, the best the best team throughput we've had was four. It was uh, one team lead, three engineers. And then we, we didn't really have an embedded um, front-end person in our team, but we had a really, really efficient front-end team that we worked with um, fairly closely. So it's just like there was always someone doing marketing stuff. There was someone someone developing a new feature. There was someone doing maintenance, and there was someone just architecting. Like it's really, really, really efficient, and four people. It's kind of a nice. It's kind of like a dinner conversation. Mm-hmm. You could have two-way conversations, both both sides, but it's really easy to have someone just catch you up, catch you up to. Oh, this happened. Oh, okay. We right. sh- we should worry about this. Oh, this is the new the new state of things now. So there's tons of new expectations uh, over time that just trickled in. It's like, oh, well, you know, we don't care about this so much anymore. Uh, we do care about this, however. So you kind of like get caught up. And like I mentioned earlier, the really big problem with um, starting with a culture that's not quite remote, you know, not quite dedicated to remote, is that. There are things that that you just completely miss out on. It's like, oh wow, I had no oh, that's a new thing. I didn't hear about this. Either because there was a town hall meeting that you missed or there was just an email that you didn't read or someone just didn't announce it in that one email. So you, you just miss out on some things and sometimes you're like people tell you, Oh, we don't we don't do this anymore you go like, Ooh, sorry. I I I missed out this this one thing. Um, so yeah, it's it it takes a lot it kind of constant constant adjustment uh, there's there's remote people at plural site uh they have multiple offices which kind of makes it necessary to right. so they have two offices in salt lake city actually three yeah they have two two offices close to each other one off uh they have one uh in chicago no boston uh chicago is hr i think and then there's uh, one in europe a few people in England, a few people in France I discovered, other than me. Uh, and I was like, ooh, yeah. French people. <laughs> and so that's, you know, and then people in San Diego. So there's kind of a nice span over the American time zones. So, you know, mm-hmm. UTC minus 8 or 9 or something, and then f- 6, 5 minus 1 or UTC, which is England. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it's nice. It's a nice spread so that now people are a lot more naturally sensitive to. Well, if you do town halls, then they have to be kind of middle of the day to kind of like mm-hmm. the to, to make sense there.
0: Do you have uh any advice about someone getting started working remotely, especially from the uh the home kind of balance of of things like me me thinking about your transition from like you're living in the states, going to school, working a job. There's at least like you were gone for 4 years or something from from France at that point if not uh-huh. if yeah. not more and you're coming back and so like don't don't I'm, do that a bunch of friends have <laughs> have probably left or had major life changes and so you're you're kind of back in this place but the world has moved since you were last there that is the and worst feeling you're work interaction like the the thing that grounds a lot of people's life is grounded geographically so far away
1: when you say it like that it, it sounds very sad and depressing uh it was very sad and depressing i needed a lot of support so like this is where mental health is like a, a thing that people need to talk about more uh that was not a good time in my life like it was really mm-hmm. like i was not emotionally very happy to begin with uh at that time uh obviously i had a i think my best friend was in town when i moved back like a week after i moved back and i was like i was like if you had not been there i would have suffered so much harder um because a lot of people were sending me like you know nice words and and and, you know like you included and people like super nice people saying like it sucks i'm sorry like i hope it gets better and it's like those feel really, they make you feel connected to the world, but they also make you feel like, oh, this is real. Like, this is happening to me. And of Mm -hmm. course, this happening to me is kind of like, well, it's happening to me. It's not a thing that's happening. It's like, you feel like, meh. And there are so many ways in which, like, I am incredibly privileged. One, to be from a country, having moved to another country, studied there, got a job there, well-paying job, might I add. Like, you know, like... These are, like, compared to most of my compatriots, like, like we are French, so there's lots of benefits for sure. But mm-hmm. I had it easy, really easy, really good. And a few struggles, yeah, they're not great. That's, that's kind of a bummer. Um, that makes it hard. When you're starting, so to kind of go back to the root of your question, which I remembered this time, uh, <laughs> one, I should have asked my organization um, to be more serious about it. So there's a lot of words. It's very easy to say we're committed to you know trying something, but really it takes money. That's it's, it's it takes time and money, mm-hmm. and an investment. That's what I mean. So an investment can be a, a cost or like a monetary or a time investment, a person investment. So one person needs to be responsible, at least. Uh, several people need to commit to you know, pick up the slack if someone's on vacation when it comes to remote coordination. So if you have an office coordinator, that's the person. I mean, Christine uh, at that time did an amazing job at that, but then sometimes Christine wasn't there. So uh, she was coordinating not just the office, but also the remote experience with us. Uh, You need managers that recognize that when they do one-on-ones, they need to ask about remote. They need to ask the people who are not remote about remote, and they need to ask the remote people about remote. You need to ask yourself all of the time, am I compromising because I'm remote? Am I, like, taking shit I wouldn't take in an office setting? Am I accepting to do things that are, like, kind of, like, just ask a friend that has a normal desk job. Do they have meetings at 8 p.m.? And they'll be like, what? And ask a, a French... A French parliamentary, like, if it's cool to receive emails at 11 a.m., eleven p.m. and then just, like, be expected to answer them, they'll be like, nope, that's illegal now, which sounds mm. insane from another country. But really, when you think about it, like, you don't have to make it illegal to make it weird. Like, if right. it's 11, Slack has that now. It took forever for Slack to have that. But the do not disturb thing in Slack, oh, my God, best feature ever. <laughs> I'm not available right now. I'm not even going to get a notification right now. Basecamp's uh, work can wait. Oh, my God. One of the best remote tools ever made. Sadly, we don't use Basecamp anymore, and I wish we did because there's so few productivity tools that just take that into account. GitHub, same thing. It really, really, really bothers me uh, that GitHub still does not have a vacation mode and does not have a I'm not in time zone uh, available right now because Mm -hmm. you can batch these emails, right? It's a feature. You and I have worked on features like this. Like You just save them send later and make a big batch email or send all of those emails later. like this is a, an easily solvable software problem if you care about it. Right. Um, and as a as a starting person, so to really answer the question, if you start and you've ne- so if you've never worked in this industry or if you've never been a you know a remote tech worker, I guess, uh, it's gonna suck. It's gonna be really hard. and um, you just need to be prepared to perpetually, give constructive feedback and, uh, learn from people like, you know, you and me and other people who have been remote before, what is, what is to be expected? Because you won't have those expectations. You'll have to build that whole set. So maybe that won't be useful. Kind of like learning that you shouldn't touch the stove as a kid. And then you touch it and you're like, ow, okay, I won't touch the stove. Uh, Mm -hmm. so you might have to go through those burns yourself for sure to to internalize them cuz it's just the way learning so sometimes work
0: do you consider yourself an extrovert uh <sighs>
1: no it's straight answer no uh do you have a follow up <laughs>
0: i i i do I, so i think that there there's a subset of people when thinking about working remotely that uh do like interacting with other people and are are the people that are gonna be reaching out to folks and making things happen that the idea of being remote is like this is going to to hinder me like i'm I'm gonna be stifled by being remote weird I know that uh, you uh, persona is maybe too strong a, a a thing about it it's not that you're like performing or or anything but it, I also know that there are different sides to, to Olivier. But I, I was just wondering if if being remote has, has one, was there any kind of stress in, like, what is this going to do to me as a person? Not not being physically around people as, as much. And is that going to feel stifling? Or is, was it just, no, I, this is now how I interact through the portal that I have? available to me
1: God, that's such a good question uh and so you know people say that and he's like oh i don't know how to answer it no no i i, I think i know how to answer it it's a, this is a really good question i so i consider myself an ambivert these days which sounds kind of like ah oh, you read that one book and now you'd think that you know you're something i don't know i think it fluctuates i think that just like autism which is a weird comparison but uh extroversion and introversion are a spectrum and then they mm-hmm. fluctuate. It's kind of like you know, it's, it's kind of like ping. The jitter in ping fluctuates. <laughs> like you don't always have the same ping even if you have amazing fiber connection. Mm-hmm. God, what a nerd. Uh, so <laughs> I have, so the way I explain it to people is that one, my French self is far more introverted than my American self. Uh, and I say American f- self, not English self because I have an American accent. <laughs> All right. uh, so I think uh, so when I'm in the U.S., I am far more outgoing. I I find it far easier to interact with people because people, you know, small talk, they are a lot more welcoming to conversation, at least in smaller cities like Orlando uh, than, say, New York City, which I think is a little bit more like Paris, where people are just closing in on themselves because they're just, just so piled on to each other. Uh, in Paris, people are really drawn in. They don't really like to interact with you because they're like me. They're just like, ugh, I'm tired, I'm stressed. And that's not a great ground for flourishing as a person, I feel like. Uh, Mm -hmm. I grew up, like, a city and country boy. So, like, most of my family is in the countryside. My parents have a house in the countryside. And so I interacted with (laughs) cows and forests and stuff like that. So, like, I have a weird split personality as a French person already. And when you're bilingual, you kind of learn that it kind of, it doesn't, it's kind of when you change schools uh, as, a, as a kid and you get to be a new person. Uh-huh. So this other language gives you the ability to be like, you, or at least you think so. And you're like, oh, I can be a new person now. People don't have shitty nicknames for me. <laughs> um, and, uh, but in, in English, uh, just, I think American English is just naturally more outgoing of a language than French. Um, so it makes me more outgoing, but I have like that spectrum where, I think that in the U.S., 40% of my time is introversion and like I I go in on myself and I'm like, but I do take energy from people, right? So that's a thing that's more extroverted for sure. Like when I talk to people at conferences and bars and I don't really go to bars that much, but uh, coffee shops, places like that, social places, when I meet someone, it just exhilarates me in a way that I know a lot of introverted people don't. Um, Mm -hmm. That said, when I go back to Paris, and this is an anecdote that I mean I repeat a lot to people I can stay in my house for 3 days without leaving ever and opening the door. <laughs> that sounds insane to people. And I'm like uh-huh. I live I live in a studio in an apartment in a big city where I can get delivery to my door very easily and where I don't have many needs and uh you know it's like it, it it's a small little thing and that sounds insane when you kind of try if you try to match that up to the the personality of the extrovert, it's kind of weird. You're like, what, you haven't talked to me? And I also, very important thing that I sort of mentioned at the beginning, I talk to myself, like a lot.
0: <laughs> and that
1: sounds like, mm, you know where you talked about mental health earlier? Like, okay, that's what he meant. No, it's just that when you're remote, and I know this is true because I've talked to m- people on my team that are remote and other people that are remote, you think, right? You're thinking and there's no one there. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever done rubber duck debugging, which is amazing, uh, you talk to a duck, right? To try to, like, externalize your problem and explain it to somebody else. Or you do that to a real person. You just use Tony as a rubber duck. And you say, mm-hmm. so I'm trying to do this thing. And you've done that to me, so I know. I'm trying to do this thing. And the request is going through. And then it hit, it's, it's hitting a middleware. And ah! middleware's, right? And so you're like mm-hmm. that. And I do that. I'm like talking to myself i'm like hmm that doesn't make any sense but it's not like it doesn't sound too crazy it's like oh that's weird okay so this is kind of like if you put a microphone which there is a microphone so sometimes i'm like i leave my microphone wired and plugged in and i'm like i wonder if some someone is listening and going like oof that guy oof <laughs> jesus so i i do things like i'm i'm looking at the to say the console and i'm like oh, that's really weird why is it executing twice hmm do you maybe do you maybe listen to your
0: voice through the microphone while you're doing uh that?
1: so that's god stop it with the <laughs> perfect questions i do because i'm one of those few people that don't hate their voice uh-huh. uh I, especially when i'm nasally i don't love it but i like it because it feels like i'm like an i don't have to talk to myself essentially i can i so i use it for writing when i'm writing i want my writing to sound good
0: mm-hmm. that
1: sounds weird but when I'm writing it, I don't just want the words to make sense. I want it to have a rhythm. And that, I think that's the English major in me and they like studied literature and stuff like that. Like I need your words, even your code, to have a rhythm that's just still elegant and stuff like that. So I will be typing a, a blog post or something like that and be when I really want it to be good or a screencast, uh, I really want it to be good, uh, I'll just type it and say, uh, read read this so Ruby. I do that for Ruby facets. Uh, I, I use the uh, Byword app, and I type my stuff, and it's a really dark screen, and it just shows me like just just that. Uh, let me find Ruby facet seven. So like, if I read it, I'm like, it's, it's an example. Of something. No, I'm not gonna say the intro that my podcast is gonna be weird, but like here, like. There's a sentence where I go, life gets complicated sometimes and there's really no way around it. So I'll say that sentence, life gets complicated sometimes and there's really no way around it. So if it's hard to pronounce that sentence and there's a word I hit on, I'll be like, well, I need to reword that because it's going to sound weird in the podcast. Or just it's a bad sentence if it's hard to pronounce, you know, Mm -hmm. something like that. So I do that for sure. And also I just talk to myself because I'm trying to debug something. And that, that basically my job for... Most of 2014 and quite a bit of 2015 was uh, on the side upgrading from Rails 3.1 to Rails 4.2. Uh, that mm-hmm. huge, you know, legacy app, um, legacy app. Uh, but it was so it took it took, and now mo- I mostly did it myself. So it took a lot of mm-hmm. just like why? Wow, like I was having like one of the craziest bugs I had was just blank page, no output in the console. Just, I would load up the app, blank page, no output in the console. So I just did this crazy deep dive into Rails that was deeper than I had ever done it before. And through the process, I would just talk to myself and be like, why is it doing that? And I remember watching a screencast with, um, I think it was a play by play screencast with Aaron Patterson and uh, Jeffrey Kirstenbach. And Mm -hmm. uh, Aaron would, there was a person there, Jeffrey, but really, Really, Aaron was like, it looks strikingly like Aaron to himself with his cats, which I have also. (laughs) I have two cats in a studio apartment in Paris with no airflow, with only one window. Don't do this. Like if you're going to be remote, here's my best tip for you're an American person or you can afford a two bedroom house or sorry, a one bedroom house anywhere. At least have a one bedroom if you're going to be remote, because Mm -hmm. at least you'll have a place you can close the door on. That's not your office. Like, you have a bedroom in which you sleep, and then your office is, I don't know, in the living room or something. Because my office is my bedroom, is my kitchen, is my living room, is my balcony. Like, everything. Which is really bad for work-life balance, separation of concerns, you know, Mm -hmm. stuff like that.
0: Sending good signals to your brain that this is time to be working or this is time not to be working. Because the desk is always,
1: yeah, Yeah. it's staring at you all the time. It's like, I'm here. (laughs) Anxiety. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so bad if uh if code school closed down tomorrow you're you're laid off your contract's not renewed is uh is a remote job something that you're looking for is it just an option yeah i guess that's yeah an
1: option. heavy one uh, i've talked i mean i've talked i've i've thought about that um just because just you have to you have to have a plan um I think remote is kind of a necessity because I think that just like, huh, uh, I think it's Merlin Mann who said he's ruined and he's unemployable or something like that. Or like, it's just like, he's done so many th- weird things now that it's impossible to go back. Um, mm-hmm. back when I listened to back to work, like I remember him saying that, I feel like remote kind of ruins you in a way because it sets up expectations like that where you have some sort of independence. You don't have to deal with horrible Yes, I wanted to talk about that. This is perfect. You don't have to deal with horrible office layouts. You don't have to like just terrible like tubes of noise and uh interruption. You don't have to deal with a lot of you have a lot more control. You're also a lot more vulnerable to your own flaws right for sure right. but because there's less structure um, but that so that control uh, I remember Aaron talking about like how he liked controlling he liked being an independent an independent contractor I didn't pick it I didn't want to be an independent contractor uh, I could have been remote without mm-hmm. being an independent contractor but again I'm not I can't work in the US right. yet uh, I might soon but still I don't it's it's far more involved for me to work in the U.S. because I have to move, I have to get a visa, I have to, you know, just remove for the fourth time or something like that. And um, so remote is a thing where if I had the choice, if I was in the city where my, my company is or if I was in, in I had the opportunity to have an office with a, a few people, I would probably kind of go to the office once in a while or a co-working mm-hmm. space or something like that. Because there are days in which uh, at, at, that's super, super hinged on the wealth and ability of like, by wealth, I mean the ability, your ability to have a house that is suited to remote work. If you live in Florida or if you live in a state that, that has affordable, you know, mildly affordable housing, you can rent or buy a house at a cost that's not insane where you can have a home office. And for a while, like I think, I think in 2014 or 15, I had just like insanely bad house cravings where I was like, "Oh, the studio, I have no physical separation." There's a huge advantage to room, like room switching. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you you think about a problem, you go in a kitchen, uh, boop up. Suddenly, you fix the problem because you just switch context, and it made you feel or think differently. Uh, my s- switching is walking like five paces to my kitchen and five <laughs> paces back like it's super close uh, I can do balcony but right now it's like 97 degrees in Paris or something like that so it's not quite good um, this is reminiscent of Florida so like the, the the office thing would be only because I have to compromise if I had exactly what I wanted I would have a home office it would be perfect it would be sound like soundproofed. I I, I sort of tried to do that last year Uh like soundproof it have a good state uh sit stand desk which i didn't mention i have by the way i have this really nice 500 IKEA sit stand desk it's basically the cheapest well, right now i'm bringing it up and you can barely hear it on the microphone <laughs> that's awesome and it's um it's the cheapest i think sit stand desk that you don't build yourself or you can mm-hmm. assemble it yourself and it's really really good like it's just it doesn't have memories or anything you just push up or push down but it works really really well um, so that, and then a bunch of like, you know, sound insulation and then nice lighting and stuff like that. That's it. It's Just a window because I need to see the outside. Um, if I had that, then prob- probably an office wouldn't matter as much.
0: Cool. It was uh, it was so great getting to chat with you, man. Likewise. Lot- lots of insightful uh, things. I'm excited to uh, to get this out and have have people experience kind of kind of your setup. Cool. So I super appreciate you taking the time this morning.
1: Thank you, too. It was a pleasure.